Today's teaching text comes from 1 Peter 1, 13-19. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, my brothers and sisters at Park Hill, my community. What a five-month opportunity to live out Life in the Spirit in these challenging times right now. And yet as a community member, it's so great to know that we're going to be meeting face-to-face, 9-13. I can't wait to see all of you then. You know, I just want to give a brief intro because, you know, I've seen you around here when we've been here long ago. But I am not only a community member, but I'm also a product of the 70s, okay? I come from the Jesus Movement. I come from Riverside, California, way back in the day. And, you know, without going into all that detail, let me just encourage you, is that I am here to represent, if you will, sort of like the generational aspect of how God has been moving and continues to move in all of our lives, in all the communities that are in not only California, not only in San Diego, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. My fascination has been with biology, and it's been with science. I am, as Matt described to you, I have my PhD in biochemistry. I've been fascinated with blood for most of my life, and because of how it works. I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. I've been a part of the biotechnology community here for about 30 years. Along with the science, I've also been fascinated with the connection of science and my belief in Jesus Christ. And how does that work? Well, it's through the, one of the major books, is the book of Leviticus, which we're also going to look as well. And after about 15 years of teaching that up at the Bible College in uh, Murrieta, I've been getting a better understanding of what it means to have that connection of what it means to be holy. How do we live out a holy life? Which we're going to talk about today. But you know, let me just say, as I'm sort of in this arena here in San Diego, I'm a consultant and I'm also one who's very involved with the COVID vaccine development and so on. Yes, herd immunity is a thing. Yes, however, spiritual herd is far greater thing. In other words, herd spirituality, what does that actually mean? That means that the gospel travels faster, is more potent, and more infectious than any virus could ever be. And we're here to find that out. My prayer is that if you're listening this morning, that you would have the opportunity to take out your Bible. We're going to look at a lot of verses, guys. You've heard the verses that we're going to actually, you know, that are part of the scripture reading. But I'm going to highlight three aspects of that so that we'll really get a greater understanding of what it truly means. What holy actually means and how we can live that holiness out. So as we're living in this life right now, keeping us in perfect peace is what our Holy Spirit does. And that's when our minds are stayed on him because we can trust in him. So will you pray with me? Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, we ask that you would also open our eyes so we might behold wondrous things from your word. Help us to know, Lord Jesus, that you know us. And then we invite you into those secret places in our lives this morning, Lord. We want so desperately to come before your presence and understand what it truly means to be owned by you, to have you in us, to have the life of Jesus. And how does that work? So what does holy mean, God? You be our teacher this morning as we allow you in and to have full access to us and allowing you to speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Following the very insightful messages that Gary Brasseers shared over the last week in spiritual warfare, I'm very excited to share about the answer to that warfare. And let's face it, our overcoming aspect is based on 
not only in Ephesians 6 that we saw and Colossians, but also the fact that the saints in Revelations overcame the accuser of their brethren by the blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony, love not their lives to the end. You know, there's something about that's so rich about that passage that it really opens our eyes to what we're seeing here as the scripture reading was this morning. And if you look back at it, you'll notice that those within those verses, there are really three that I want to highlight that really give a better picture of how God desires us to learn what it means to be holy. First and foremost is verse 13 when it talks about girding up the loins of our mind, which we're going to look at. Then verse 16, it is because this grace of God. It's because that our minds are girded up, as we see, but it's because we're called to be holy, even as he is holy. And as God has shown us in that holiness, it took a price. We were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, as we see in, in verse 19. And how does that blood of the Lamb, the precious blood of the Lamb, interrelate to how do we be holy? And then what is God calling us to do to integrate that into who we are? Well, if you look at what this actually means when it says gird up the loins of your mind, kind of like a really interesting vernacular for the writing of this passage, it really is telling us in today's language, pull up the bootstraps of your brain, essentially. It's basically saying that you need and I need to put on reason to make sense of what God has done and is doing in our lives. That means when it says in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What is he really saying? The Holy Spirit is giving us every opportunity to be being holy in this world that we're living in right now within the challenges that each one of us are facing on a daily second-by-second basis, particularly in the time of virus and violence. God has given us all that we need to live a life of godliness. All the promises of God are in him are yea and amen. And so, being holy, even as I am holy, God wants us to really look at this and as we ask, ask three major questions this morning. What does holy mean? In other words, why is the Holy Spirit called the Holy Spirit? And how do we live out holy? Those are the three major questions that we want to look at this morning in the context of our passage. Because let's face it, in this time of this COVID-19 era, our frustrations have intensified greatly. As we probably all know, the big question seems to be to mask or not the mask. That's the question, right? And how do we even know that we've been exposed to the virus for that matter, right? What has this virus done to us? Well, let's face it. This virus, interestingly, has exposed us. And what is that actually telling us? Our attitudes have been exposed over the past five months. We've gotten a real glimpse of who we are. Our spiritual and emotional conditions have been revealed. And as Henry Longfellow said in his poem, we make ourselves a place apart, behind light words that tease and flout, but oh, that agitated heart when someone finds us truly out. And you know, this is exactly within that poem what happens when someone is God and this presence, his majesty, is always finding me out. Where am I? Not only in my thought life, but right this moment, even as I'm talking. You know, Isaiah had a very extraordinary vision, chapter 6 of Isaiah, when he saw it, the whole heavens open, and he saw the train of the, the Lord filling the temple, and the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. But in the context of all that, what happened with Isaiah? All he could do was observe the holiness of God and recognize, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage of sin? Now, what does kind of a reaction would one have in the presence of God? Why would he focus on his sin? The presence of God, as evidenced here, is showing us that there's a purification and a longing for purification in the presence of God. A longing, a heart. And I ask each one of us this question. Is there a longing in our hearts to have pure hearts before the Lord? Is there anything that the Holy Spirit has been encouraging us to let go of and trust him 
Because he does know. He loves me so much. He wants to take me even deeper into his love and his glory. If I would just let go. Now, the word holy actually means, what is it? You know, we, we say it, holy Bible, holy sanctuary, holy, you know, spirit for that matter. The word holy is revealed, interestingly, and probably in some of the most colorful ways in the book of, uh, or in the language of Hebrew. And this defines as a noun, it's defined as a verb and an adjective. For example, kadesh is the noun. That simply means a holy thing, which I can't elaborate on at this moment, but there is something very powerful about things like holiness and sacredness and God's presence in general makes things holy. The burning bush, for example, holy mountain, holy of holies, anything that's defined in the Kodesh, that noun is a statement of holy. Well, we know know that, but what about the verb? Well, that verb is kadash. Same thing, same spelling in Hebrew, just different vowels. It says to be set apart, to hollow, to sanctify, to consecrate. Like in Leviticus 10.3, it says, I must be regarded as holy. And we can actually turn that into a word called holy eyes. In other words, like galvanized. We are being holy eyesed. Kadosh is the adjective that simply describes the very essence of who God is as the only one of his kind. He alone is utterly pure, perfect, distinct, and set apart. Only he is, just like the angels cried in Isaiah 6. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. That simply is screaming, holy, holy. And the triplicate of that is the emphasis of the absoluteness of holy. Anytime a Hebrew word was mentioned three times was the overemphasis about its absolute meaning. And because God is holy, he's required his people to be holy in the Old and the New Covenants. Even to this understanding of the Old Testament, Kadosh was required in Leviticus 19.2. Right before the law was even itemized, those Kadosh was necessary for his people. Then in the New Testament, we see in our passage that we read today, God has called each of us to be not only Kadosh, but we're called to be holy ones. And those holy ones, God's expectations are holiness of his people. So when we ask this question from verse 16, what does it actually mean? The main idea behind holiness is not moral purity, but it is the idea of apartness. Now that statement is basically telling us that holiness isn't about do's and don'ts only. We're not governed by the Leviticus 19 rules of not to do. I don't become more holy the more I do for God. In other words, I'm not, my objective on this planet is not to make myself so much more holier because of my, only my actions of not doing certain things like are seriously itemized throughout chapter 19 and 20 of Leviticus. God's call is that what I would recognize that I am and am living in an apartness. That apartness, that I'm separate, just like God, separate from his creation, his essential nature and his perfection of his attributes are completely separate from what the world or this universe is under the curse of sin. Yet, God calls us to him. To share in his apartness is what his call is for each one of our lives. His love, his presence, his purity is all in him. Holy is technically a twofold process. That means I'm separated from the world and all that is in the world as a purifying process. God has separated me. And I am then separated to God to his love, to his purity, and to his presence. So holy is essentially twofold. It is positional. After I am saved by Jesus Christ in the blood of his covenant, and in that salvation, I'm separated from that connection of sin and death. And after this process of being justified, is that what that would be referred to as, 
I am sanctified. In other words, God finished me. I am eternally in his presence in terms of completed in him, positionally. The Holy Spirit baptizes me into his holiness, into his love, and to his presence is imparted into me. Then the second thing begins. And the second thing is, holy is progressive, i.e., I'm separated to God and I'm being separated to Him constantly, even right this moment. God is holyizing each one of us right now as you're listening. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are being made holy because you are holy. Now, that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? It's kind of like, well, if I'm perfect, then why do I have to keep being perfect? Well, you know what? In this world, just like in our bodies, as you notice, something's happening to them. And I, I can tell you for a fact that that's, okay, it happens, is that we start to age, right? And we start to get, why are we aging? Why is this thing happening? Why is things getting old? Why is there always seem to be preponderance of this evil that so easily can beset us? That is exactly the curse that occurred from the very beginning. And that curse has been played out into each of us and yet God has allowed us, as Evan has been sharing over the last couple of weeks, is that we are in this really interesting, messy middle, remember? Where that place is that we are now and we're not yet. Well, that's exactly what holy actually is. Is that you are now holy and you're not yet completely holy. Now, what does that mean? I thought you said I was finished. Well, you know what? In this life, we are in that messy middle. So how do I live out in this messy middle right now? I live progressive walk in a holy position. In other words, I'm walking in who I am in a world that is fallen and living like that and understanding that, yes, I'm going to trip up. Yes, I'm going to go through challenges, but I've got the beautiful aspect of what it means to be, when we talk about the blood of Jesus, which we're going to get to in a moment, let me just encourage you that there is something extremely powerful when First John chapter 1, verse 7 tells us that if we are in fellowship with him, his blood is cleansing us from our sin. It's a continuous process. So I'm in the process of being cleansed at the same time. Remember, all of the final acts are going to be realized when we see him face to face. But as Paul tells us, we see through this glass dimly at this time. In this lifetime, although we can't see all heaven perfectly, we can be experiencing it in extraordinary ways, even in these finite bodies. And in the process of this happening, remember that God is calling us to do certain things in order to enact all of what I'm describing here. First and foremost, he wants us to realize that his word is essential for us to grow in understanding what it truly means to be holy. So staying in the word of God is cleansing me, even as you're reading the text now. The Holy Spirit brings the scriptures to my remembrance. So instead of it being just words, instead of it being just information, instead of it being an academic only, this is a life-living word that is transforming my mind and renewing me and preparing me to be being who I am in him. That means that my desires are going to change. And as I start to see certain things that I used to do in my life, I'm not doing them anymore. I don't have a longing to do those things that are things that would really be harmful. Things that I know that sound like a lot of fun at the moment, but the Holy Spirit is so gracious. He's reminding me that this is not who you are. I've called you into my apartness. And you know what? However snooty that may seem when you walk out of the room, there is something so important for us to recognize is that being obedient and walking and leaving isn't just leaving that. It's coming into him. God's got family. He's got people. He's got all kinds of blessings when we finally allow him to do that work on it. And what he's talking about a daily basis. That's why when we gird up the loins of our mind or put up the bootstraps of our brain, we're realizing, I know that doesn't belong. And I know this is something that does belong. And being able to differentiate the two is exactly what it means to be holy. Because it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of my heart. That differentiation comes by the word of God. 
as we said from the very start of this. That's why when Paul said to the Corinthians, come out from among them, he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 18. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what's unclean and I'll receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And chapter seven, verse one says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, Let's cleanse ourselves from all filthiness, the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God then requires that I make choices to lead, to cleanse myself. And furthermore, even when we go up to a verse before that, I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, i.e. I am the Lord Almighty within you. I am leading you. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be afraid. I will never leave or forsake you. God has an extraordinary joy, unspeakable, as the beginning of 1 Peter actually talks about, when we actually have our hearts and our minds on him and trusting him. So fulfilling God's call to holiness really means and requires breaking off the lifestyles of the world because it's characterized by the lusts and the ignorance. As that passage just shared with us in 1 Peter Chapter one. And it's telling me that when God calls me to do some changes in my life, he uses a really interesting word that's in the book of Colossians. And it's Colossians chapter three, verse five. But he tells us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That sounds kind of like a mortician, like, well, that's exactly what it means. It says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Well, how do I do that? How do I put to death things that are, it sounds so, it, it sounds really heavy. You know, it's like, how? Well, it's interesting as a biologist, when we say we're going to put something to death, you know, that's one thing that we're going to stop living. But there's also something very interesting that happens when we look and we actually, we see what happens with a muscle. Certain muscles in your body, if you, if you actually look at the dissection of them, you're going to see these little white strands that are across the muscle. And those aren't just part of the muscle tissue itself, they're individual units or nerves. And the nerves that innervate that muscle often are consciously controlled or unconsciously. But regardless, just that tiny little string can innervate this massive bicep, this massive um, whatever kind of large muscles that are in your body and can not only activate it, but are what are activating it even as you move your arms, your legs, and so on. When you cut one of those little white strands, you stop the innervation of this massive amount of tissue. And slowly but surely, those cells that make up that muscle ultimately start to what are called atrophy. They start getting smaller because they don't know what to do. They are helpless. They need information. And they're not getting the information because you've cut the cord, you've cut the nerve. And time after time, you want to move your leg, you want to move your arm, and you look at it consciously, but it it doesn't happen. And over time, the muscle atrophies. This is exactly what a holy life is. It's recognizing that that muscle is hurting me. That muscle is whatever the issue is in my life. And by the simple action of the word of God that is alive and living, that there is no temptation that's overtaken me except what is common to man, that God is faithful. He'll never allow me to be tried beyond what I'm able and always provides a way of escape. He will allow that to be cut, liberated. It's a process. It's a process. Trusting him with the process. And I know many of us have areas in our life that the Holy Spirit, even this moment, is asking you, are you ready to cut the nerve? Are you ready? Because I'm here with you, and I know exactly what I can do next when that is cut. It's simply surrendering it to him doesn't mean getting out a pair of scissors and cutting your body up. It means a willingness in my heart to say, Lord, this is yours. I surrender this to you. And living the process, when the temptation comes up, surrender to God is really what it happens. So this happens with a habit, a habit of holiness, repetition. Another biology moment here, but that repetition creates a mindset. We often talk in biology, in the, especially in the neurosciences, they talk about how nerves connect to one another, and they call that a synapse. And when they come together and they sort of flood each other, they're connecting to one another because there is a traveling impulse that goes from one part of my body to the next. 
And when I start to do a habit over and over again in my brain, I create this habit and I strengthen that synapse. So we call it a synaptic strengthening, where it allows me to not only learn it, but I can ultimately do it unconsciously. I mean, sadly, it can be with bad habits, but the key is it's a good habit. When I get in the habit of reading the Word of God, I notice when I haven't had it in the mornings when I don't. Because why? Because there's been a synaptic strengthening and God has placed that there so I can train my mind on those things of the Spirit. And it takes the training is really what discipling means. It's training my mind. So things will become autonomic, even unconscious, when I wanted to get into the Word of God. But that question comes up with this. Then what about the distractions? Do those become habitual? Because, you know, there's certain things in our electronic world that can be. They can become the habit that I almost like it's an appendage of mine. But just like the muscle, when I take the time, as we've been talking about in the ministry here, about holy noticing. The holy noticing process requires me to do the separated from to the separated to. In other words, I need to integrate that attitude of this twofold function in each one of my acts. Now, a really profound description of that comes out of the book of Exodus when Moses was, here he was in the middle of the desert and he had given up on God. He'd been walking away from it all. He was a murderer. He was every bad thing imaginable as we saw in the movie. And as Moses is in the middle of the wilderness, God places a burning bush next to him. And he even writes in Exodus 3.3, he says, Moses writes, I will now turn aside to see this great sight. Why this bush does not burn. Now, why would Moses write out the details of that one single action? Well, it's a twofold action. He says, I will now turn aside. Why? Because I am going to not only allow this distraction, what I would consider a distraction, but I'm going to investigate it because it's different than my technical distractions. Distractions can come in a variety of ways and we can define them as that. But when the Holy Spirit gets our attention and we have to ask ourselves, is this a godly distraction or is it a world or a flesh or a lustful distraction? God loves me so much that there's always going to be a burning bush waiting for me in those little moments constantly giving me a greater sense that my presence, my presence is fullness of joy. In my presence is where your heart is longing, desperately needing. Be a part of my apartness. My love is holy love. My justice is holy justice. All of my attributes, everything about me is holy. Therefore, holiest isn't something that we possess. It's something that possesses us. Let me say that again. Holiness isn't so much something we possess as it is something that possesses us. So when I want to be called to be holy, I let it happen. I don't have to muster myself up to trying to be a better person. I don't have to keep trying to fight it when I can let it Holy Spirit will show me yes and no. Perfect peace when my mind stayed on him because I can't trust in him. You gotta remember something. We talk about this apartness. We don't know, always know what that apartness means. At least I know what I'm getting into when I can see it over here. But this apartness is basically telling us something very important because we're separating ourselves to him to his truth. In other words, we're naturally separating ourselves from those things that are not like him, not according to his truth. It's interesting because that's contrasted with the heathen gods of the Greco-Roman era at that time, also some of the gods that we've allowed into our lives. And those gods, interesting as Clark's commentary on that passage refers to heathenism scarcely ever produced a god whose example wasn't the most abominable, period. Their greatest gods, especially, were paragons of impurity. What does that really mean? There was never the concept of purity in a heathen god. And certainly, a lot of the gods we've allowed into our lives have rarely 
have any purity at all in them, and they've always got something that we always have to hide the screen so nobody's seeing it when they walk in the room. Why do we do that so quickly? Because deep down inside, we know. We do know. The beautiful thing about it is God's given us this extraordinary conscience, but that conscience needs cleansing. Our God's a God of love, of purity, and our scriptures always affirming that as we're reading it, even this passage, that our high calling is to make sense of what this actually means and where it came from. Because remember, we were bought. We were bought out of the world. When we become Christians, we're bought with a price. What does that actually mean? It means that God loved us even when we were in this sinful place. He showed his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for me. And when it says that Jesus died for me, that means something happened on the cross. Just like what happens on the altar in the Old Testament, the altar of the cross, something happened there. It answered the cry of the Old Testament altar. The cry of the Old Testament altar was always about repetition, repetition, always trying to do it again and again and again because guilt was always driving the altar. But in the New Covenant, we have it once, as the book of Hebrews describes. Once it's occurred. Jesus died once on the cross. And the, the interesting thing is the difference in the blood. Because when you compare the animal blood with Jesus' blood, you have to remember something. That it's not the fluid itself, it's the source of the fluid. In other words... The blood from the animal was a finite. God accepted it in this shadow of what the substance was on the cross. And the blood of Jesus was something that was eternal because it comes from an eternal being because Jesus was fully God as well as fully man. And that blood that was shed from him was a picture of that eternal nature versus the finite nature of an animal. Both of them, though, you look at the flu and they almost, they, they look the same, very similar. So in other words, when we're saved, Jesus comes into me. He takes charge of my whole being, my nature, my thoughts, all of this, my affections. And as Andrew Murray says, we have as much holiness as Jesus Christ in me. In other words, when I invite him in, he's making me holy. By Hebrews 2.11, he says, he that sanctifies or he that holyizes me and they that are holy eyes are one. God is at work immediately to make me into his image. In other words, he brings me in by this interesting fluid that I mentioned a moment ago about his blood. And how does he do this? Well, Leviticus, and I would love to have the time to spend it for the next couple of months with you right now, but let me just say that most often the book of Leviticus is looked at with a single verse, because so many people don't read it. Let me encourage you, by God's mercy, this book is loaded with jewels on how to not only be holy, but understand it in the context of what we believe in Jesus Christ. But there's a verse there that emerges out of chapter 17, verse 11, that gives us a really interesting clue about what happens when blood is applied on this altar. Because, you know, Leviticus 17, 11 says... For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Now, you're saying, well, what is that even telling me right now? Well, you're going to see that within that verse, there's a Hebrew word that's mentioned three different times. And it's this word called nephesh. It simply means life source or the vitality of a being or life in general. Well, this life source is given by the medium of blood as a place of not only of substitution, but of recognition that God calls us into himself by the use of this blood. In other words, blood used God's way is God's method of holyizing me. Now, this occurred on the Old Testament altar. And it was, it was back in that time. And we get that. We understand that. This is an old covenant concept. But we have to remember that this concept plays into the way we see and understand Jesus' blood. Because in Hebrews 9, it also says to us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So this blood was necessary 
to not only purchase my soul, but to encase my soul, just like a cocoon, and preserve it for his use. So God wants to use you. He wants to use me. But the whole purpose of his using it is to be understanding not only what this blood is doing, but it's encasing me. Now let me just say something really quick about blood. The fluid itself. He didn't say cerebral spinal fluid. He didn't say the fluids that are on the different parts of your knees and so on. He's using the fluid of blood as a life source for a very good reason. The composition of blood, when you actually go to a doctor's office and you get a blood sample taken, they spin it down, they, they put all these different capsule tubes on it and the different colors and so on, and you're just sitting there, just not, don't, you don't even want to look, we don't want to look. And then all of a sudden they take the blood and then boom, they have all these different tubes. All of those tubes are separating out what's in it profoundly. Red blood cells, white blood cells. Those are the two different types, major. And the red blood cells' sole objective is to bring oxygen to every single cell of your body. Number one, providing oxygen. Number two, those white blood cells that we're hearing all about these days in the COVID land. Those white blood cells are designed to protect you. Immunity. We've got provision and protection in blood. Those are the two major aspects of it. Without blood, obviously we know we die. With blood, every cell has the opportunity to get an oxygen molecule and the garbage of that cell, carbon dioxide, is taken out of your body. All of that happens in immunity. We're talking, guys, the way we understand the immune system now and the design of that is so exquisite and it's such a picture of the handiwork of God, the way he uses that an analogous image of how he not only provides for us, but how he protects us. Do you realize that there's a constant vigilance of white blood cells, T cells, that are constantly surveying my body to see what belongs to me and what doesn't. It's called immunosurveillance, a constant looking for that barcode on every single one of my cells. And if something doesn't belong, there's an, a, what we call an immune response, and it attacks it and gets rid of it. This is how God's vigilance is about us. Everything that comes into my life, there's that barcode. Does it belong or does it not belong? Does it, is my thoughts so easily can be with those barcodes. I have a thought in my heart that I want to hide it. I want to keep it there. I don't want God to see it. I know that this is something, but as he says in the book of Jeremiah, he says, I know of those secret thoughts in your mind. God knows them. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate, eternal immunosurveillance. He does this constantly because he loves me and he wants to protect me and preserve me. My eternal nature is divinely protected by him. That's why it makes sense in Romans 12.1. A lot of scriptures, guys, but let me encourage you. They're all relevant. Romans 12.1 tells us for us to present our bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable form of worship. And not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind so we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's longing is for me just to accept that exposure to him. Just to allow myself, as once I'm exposed by this culture and I see all the junk that's in it, and it happens and it can accumulate so quickly, the divine action of the Holy Spirit allows me to confess my sin. He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's a constant walk in the Spirit and a constant walk of surrender. A constant willingness to let him have it all. And I have a place in my life where I can trust him with everything. You know, we, we talk about the different types of blood, but let me encourage you. The animal blood was very finite. God's spirit is an eternal spirit. One more verse out of Hebrews 9 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I ask you, what are we doing with our lives? You know, we've had five months of real, real tough stuff. We've had some real challenges. But let me just say, within those tough times, his spirit and his presence 
have never left us, has never forsaken us, and he's always calling me right this moment even, as I have Shua come up to share and worship. He's always called us to turn aside, to be with him, when he tells us, no, by the God himself, sanctify you completely. First Thessalonians 3, or 5. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We ask you now, Lord, as we enter into a time of just listening, turning down the volumes of the world, and allowing that holy, holy moment to just be with you right now, Lord. So just take a minute right now. If there's any distractions, maybe you need to go into another room. Maybe you need to just stop long enough to just turn your thoughts over to him and ask those questions. Talking. Letting the Holy Spirit talk to you.
encourage you if you have in your home uh, some bread and some wine we'll partake in communion now and I'll give you a moment to go and get those if you have them awesome but let me just say a few words about what this is actually telling us right now in light of what we were just referring to as far as holy is concerned Jesus not only provided bread but he also provided wine at the table we call the Last Supper and as we have this each week, it's important for us to remember that this is a not only a representation, but when he said, this do in remembrance of me, he said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Take this, eat this in remembrance of me. Now, as we, if we look at that before we partake, remember that this bread is essentially when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is essentially his provision. This was his way of providing for all of our needs, up for who we are in him. He will be that provider. So as we take this, remember that you're taking a part of God's provision. Now let me encourage you also, if you are not a believer this morning and you have not yet invited Jesus into your heart, I would encourage you within the community groups that we have here within Park Hill to make that known to them. But we're doing this and we're understanding that this moment, this holy moment, is meant and designed for those who know Jesus and that have him in their hearts. And this is a time for us to remember that he is our provider. He will guide us with his eye. So as we partake this together, let's ask him. Let's talk to him. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your bread. We thank you for your body that you provide for all of our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We receive this now, trusting that you will do more than we could ever ask or think as we stay in this holy moment, in this community of believers, yes, with one another. Amen. Let's partake together. It says in 1 Corinthians, it's out of chapter 11, verse 25, it says, in the same manner, he took the cup and says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. The covenant in my blood. What is this covenant in his blood? As we've been describing, this is the life. This is who I am. This is a representation, a remembrance that he is in me. This is the whole point of what it really means to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, is that he is in me. And we celebrate that with this wine. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. As, you, as you've partaken, I would just ask you right now, in this holy, holy moment, There are times in our lives when we just need to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The repetition, the emphasis that all of those thoughts that can so easily beset us are stilled in his presence, are stilled with a conscious desire right now to allow him to not only cleanse our mind, cleanse our conscience, but to liberate us from any of the legal, the, the requirements to do things for God, letting him do it in us, the hope of glory. So it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and I know there are those that are listening right now that need to hear, God is faithful and just and as he cleanses, he forgives, and he is speaking. Just let him right now. Because there are some individuals the Holy Spirit is setting free. There are some individuals that need to be on their knees, that need to be on their face. And just let God love you right now. Let him have you. 
present your body right now and receive. All you have to do is let him. Holy Spirit, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for giving us that word fitly spoken. Father, we come before you, we embrace. We want to be those vessels fit for the master's use, designed specifically for today to bring you wherever we are. Masks or no masks, God, you are there. Thank you for your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. May you watch over every aspect of what we just shared today and let the word of God dwell in you richly, speaking to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, always having that grace immeasurable for one another in your heart. God bless you.